This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And today, we are really going to hone in on that part of making your businesses successful. And I am so excited to welcome Philip Williams to our program today. Welcome, Philip. I am so happy to be here, Deb. I'm you know, we're going to have a great discussion. Um, let me tell people a little bit about you before we get going. All right. So Philip's business education started at the family dinner table when he was about eight years old. His parents owned barbershops and an auto salvage business. He's a three-time Inc. 5000 honoree outside the family business after becoming the CEO of a 17-year-old cash-strapped company and growing it at 50% per year for five straight years. That resulted in two nearly simultaneous acquisition offers from two publicly traded multinational corporations. He's recently authored a book titled Momentum Goal Setting, the anti-corporate method for setting goals that will truly grow your business. And today he spends his professional time helping business owners build profitable and well-respected companies. So again, Philip, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm guessing for you it is because you do have a process and that's part of your book and, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But, you know, we, we do have to jest just for a moment here mm -hmm. because you're a University of Arizona grad. I'm a University of Colorado grad. And I'm sorry for you. I know, and it means we're in the same conference for those people who are not sports people. Um, but the only thing that we have in common this year is we're suffering the same pain. Oh, I know, but we have a new coach, and so look out, look out, because he is going to take us or bring us back to, to you know, where we used to be, um, so can't wait for that, but part of the reason I mention that is you use a lot of sports analogies in your book, and I think that makes it much easier for many people to understand the concepts be behind developing great teams and having great teamwork and more importantly, having great leadership within a company um, because sports really is the ultimate place where, uh, you know, someone is having to be part of that team. Even if it is somebody, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the fabulous, oh, and then of course, Michael Phelps. Um, I drew a total blank there all of a sudden. Everybody likes to think that he is a solo swimmer, but part of his major accomplishments were because he was part of the team. Um, you know, and, and so let's, let's take a step back, though, and tell us why you decided to write the book. Uh, yeah, I wrote the book, Deb, because uh, I kept getting asked a question, and I had a really bad answer for it. And the question was, how did you know, you know how to build a team, a high-performance team that, that could accomplish 50% you know, growth every year, five straight years? How did you know how to do that? And mm -hmm. My dud answer was, well, I, you know, I'm really good at leading people. And it, you know, people would just look at you and be like, okay. And they'd kind of move on, you know, mm -hmm. next question. And I was like, wow, that's like not a very good answer. I need to, I, I really need to do a much better job at answering that. And so what I did was I just, I wrote down 
my approach and it fit on probably a half of a sheet of paper. And then I wrote down the why for each one of the things that I did. And then I just asked the question, is there any research out there that backs up what I did or did I just get lucky? Are there any real world stories out there that, that demonstrate what I'm talking about or did I just get lucky? And the more I dug into that, I started developing sort of this, this content. And originally the, the book started out as a, as a keynote speech And the more I word vomited, (laughs) the longer it got. And next thing you know, I'm like 35,000 words in and the darn thing looks like a book. And it turned out to be a very good answer. And then I just had to get it, you know, from stream of consciousness more Mm -hmm. to a, a, like you say, a process that somebody could duplicate. Because that's what I was really trying to do was give others a process that they could duplicate so that I didn't get this sort of deadpan face, you know, response to my, well, I just know how to lead people. Here's the way you do it. Here's how I did it. Right. That's how it started. You know, and as I read the book, it made sense, you know, and, and because it really was one of those, and maybe it was because of the sports analogies, but you know, it, it was something that I thought, Oh yeah. Um, You know, and, and the, primary premise of the book is for people who have employees, you know, and I have a lot of listeners who are entrepreneurs and a true small business owner that is just them, or maybe, you know, one or two. And your book is, is geared more towards having a team, having employees, but we all do that no matter what, you know, we might be volunteers. We might, you know, our team might be our family, you know, all these various things. And so that's why I think Everything that you talk about in your book does apply to all of our listeners. Uh, absolutely. In fact, even as a solo uh, person, you can take the process that I've given and apply it to yourself. Mm-hmm. You, it, that's absolutely doable. Uh, and it, I probably could have written a chapter about how to do that, but I, I thought, you know, I, I think if, if you read it, even if you're somebody, especially if you're somebody, you may be a solo entrepreneur today, mm-hmm. but two or three years from now, you could have a team under you. Right. And the book, if you read it, is it's truly a culture book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's goals, but goals executed the wrong way will destroy your culture. And it's really about the idea of building your culture with a specific intention so that when you actually get to the point, because a lot of businesses start with a team and you, you don't have the overhead available free time as a small business owner who has four or five employees or one or two, you don't have the free time to set up a matrix and figure out what each individual employee's goals are going to be and how do those interlock with each other so that you don't create conflicts inside your business. You don't have the time for that. Mm -hmm. But what you do have the time to do is read the book and think about how you're going to intentionally grow your culture in a way that allows your team to perform so that when you do get to the place in time where it's time to actually give everybody an individual goal package, you don't do it in a way that rots the culture. Right. You know, and, and I think that's probably one of the biggest problems with especially companies that start small and grow, whether, you know, slowly or quickly, they tend to, you know, get a little befuddled, 
and you know and 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 they didn't set goals they didn't set that foundation and so people are lost they don't know what's expected of them and you know we're we're going to get into to much more detail about this but you're right knowing about this at the very start is the the right way to go about this and you know if you're in a culture where things are kind of running amok or amiss or total disaster you can go back and start implementing these policies or I shouldn't say policies, these tactics. Yeah, it's, it's, it is at its heart. It's a method. It is, I'm a big, big, like monumentally huge fan of the concept of management by walking around mm-hmm. leadership by why I, 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 I kind of actually hate the word manage mm-hmm. I prefer the word le- leadership by walking around, um, talking to your team, understanding what's going on in their work world, in their personal world, the the book, you know, as I point out in the book, I'm sorry, but as a leader, you you are so insignificant when it comes to uh, motivating an employee. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't they don't do things just because you're the leader and you said they could do it, right? Or, or you told them to do it, right? That that is that isn't even on the map. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and that's, that's pretty well explained, but it, it's the old, they don't know, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. And I kind of go through some of those, you know, foundational uh, principles. I think there's uh, probably about a dozen in the, the beginning of the book where I say, look, this is, these 12 ideas are the ideas that, that uh, are my, my compass points when it comes to leading a team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people are often amazed when they, you know, how did you do it? And you know what? I was in the Inc. 5000. So been doing it three years before any one of my employees ever got an individual goal package. Mm. We focused intently on the process, the method that is outlined in this book. And it was very much about culture first, goal second. Now we had a culture, a high performance culture of, look, we grow 50% because that's who we are. And right. this is, this is how we do it. And, and, you know, and, and we, we love doing it and we, you know, we care about each other and we pay attention to, to each other. Um, but we, we, you know, from a leadership perspective, this, this, this was the map of how I did it. So, you know, that was, that was where I was going. And, and I loved that it really helps, you know, cause they, like these small business guys are, you know, everybody needs to have a goal. Well, yeah, you do have to have a goal, but in the beginning, you don't have the time for that. So how do you do that? You know, you, you, you have to understand where you're going. You do have to know something about your numbers and that's certainly layered in there. You need to know what your numbers are so that you can talk to them, but your conversation shouldn't always be numbers, numbers, numbers. Right. You know, and, Throughout the book, one of the things that struck me the most was the absolute critical importance of communication. And and I had to laugh when you were talking about management by walking around because, you know, several years ago, several years, <clears throat> over 20 years ago, or almost 20 <laughs> years ago, I worked in a large corporation. I mean, it was at that point fifth or seventh in the world. I mean, big, big, big. Good job. And you know, we had our little little cubicles with the six foot high walls, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe five foot, yeah. You know, and and uh, it was it was just one of those places. You know, thirteen stories in this building. You know, we, the whole we were everybody. But our CEO went to a seminar, or his HR people went to a seminar, and the the whole management by walking around was talked about. 
And so he started doing that without telling anybody why. Scared the bejesus out of everybody because it was, why is he here? Why is he, oh, hide, quick, run, he's come to fire me. You know, all of these various <laughs> things. And he really was just truly wanting to get to know the employees and see what was going on. And, and you know, as, as many people would say, come down out of the ivory tower. Yeah. He was up on the top floor, all that good stuff. But because nobody had bothered to say, hey, he's going to be walking around a little bit. And here's why. It really did cause a panic. I mean, people, uh, people hid. They really did hide. You know, I, it, and I get it. And I'm, I'm going to use a big word. I'm bifurcated. I'm of two minds as to his approach. I, on one side of the coin, I, I really don't disagree with it because if he was to say, hey, you know, spread out to all of his, right. his middle you management. Prepare. Tell everybody I'm going to be coming around and they shouldn't be afraid. Guess what? They're still going to be afraid. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Why? Simply because he hadn't been doing it. Mm -hmm. And so then it really boils down to, so either way, he was kind of toast on that front right. because you can bet that the middle managers had he told them would have gone down to the lower managers and you make sure that everybody's desk is neat and you make sure that the trash isn't on the floor and you, you know, and that everybody's working when they see him and, you know, and all of that would have been going on. Mm -hmm. And, and I think what he was trying to do was just get in touch with people yes. in, in sort of their original element. He did. And, 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 and that is uh, kudos to him for doing that. Um, I, I think somewhere on my blog, I've even written a blog about this. You know, if you're starting out this approach, um, I, I beg of you in the first five times that you do it, you shouldn't talk about numbers or goals more than once. Mm -hmm. Just go and talk to your team and get excited about what they do. I, I can promise you this, Sam Kelleher when he was building Southwest didn't have this problem. Right. Why? Because he did it all the time. And this is a guy that was known to jump into baggage claim and throw bags around. This is a guy that would work the ticket counter and nobody was afraid of him. Why? Because it was just Sam. Right. It wasn't He's Sam one of us. Guy. Yeah. And so I, I, I totally get why he did the way he did it. I think he would have, he would have experienced the same thing uh, either way. Right. Because it was something that he wasn't doing. Mm -hmm. But I have to say that I'm, I'm a big fan of the fact that he did do it. And, you know, and I tell people, look, if you're going to do this, don't take a clipboard. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. then people are, what's he writing down? Oh, trust what's he me. Down? Trust me. Your team has stickies at their desk. If they give you a thought that is worth a million bucks, ask them to give you a sticky and borrow their pen and write it down and then go off and do it. And, and one of the things that I kind of tell leaders is you're like one of the greatest networkers in your business. That's actually part of how you got to where you are. Uh, you know, your team will become disconnected and you're the guy who kind of hears a lot of different ideas. And, uh, you know, when you're out there talking to your team at the street level and they give you ideas and you, you hear from somebody else a week ago that they were working on something and you put two and two together you're the guy that can get both those people on a conference call and get them in the same room at the same time faster than anybody mm -hmm. and get that idea cross pollinated so fast. Uh, it is, it is such an incredible tool to have. And then for people to realize that you put your pants on one leg at a time is also a really, really good thing. Right. Um, uh, I think you're not there to be their buddy. 
I mean, you know, that's the, but but you're there to be friendly. You're there to be friendly. You're there to understand a little bit about, you know, what's going on in their world, uh, in their work world, how it is that they are having excess, what frustrates them, you know, all those different things. And if you don't want to be the next Sears, get out of your darn office. Right. Yeah, you know, and, and, and we see those companies, you know, Hello Blockbuster, and, you know, I, you just had that in your book, so I'm remembering that. But, yeah. Yeah, you know, you've got to get out of that ivory tower. Um, he implemented something else that at the time, and it was funny, I mean, it, it drew those mixed reactions. We all had to have badges, you know, it was a big company, we had to have badges. And I was the head of corporate communications, so he comes to me and he said, everybody needs to get a new badge. Okay, he's the boss. And he said, I want you know, their, their photo has to be on there. He said, but I want their first name to be large enough that I'm 10 feet away. I can read it so that I can call them by name. And, you know, and he didn't know the 700 employees that worked for him. I mean, he knew quite a few, but it was amazing when he would walk around and call people by their name. Some people, again, back to, oh my God, how come he knows my name? You know, scared thing. But more often than not, they were like, ooh, the CEO knew who I was. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just a little thing like that where calling somebody by their name made a huge difference. Oh, it is. <laughs> I, I, I bet you probably one of your top three words in the English language is Deb. Uh-huh. Yeah, I like my name. <laughs> it, 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 it's the little simple things where... Look, at the end of the day, we're all here to get something done, to, to build it. Mm-hmm. Um, and these walls that get built, uh, you know, as you talk, as you mentioned, the theme of communication, telling people what's on your mind. And sometimes it, once he got through the initial burst and the initial panic and the nervousness that everybody experienced, which probably took a few months because a company mm-hmm. that large for him to walk around and just... The other thing is you kind of have to do it um, impromptu. It's got to feel, it, you know, it could be scheduled on his calendar, but it right. shouldn't be known by everybody else. But it doesn't need to be every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Yes, I'm going to walk the fourth floor. Yes. It, it, it can't be like that. It's got to it's gotta feel random for everybody and get sprinkled around. And so it probably took him a while. But once you get past that, ideas start flowing freely. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can get if you can get to that first name place, you know, Mr. Peterson, you know, that's, that's cool, but uh, it, it gets in the way. And I think, right. I think that's actually partly why, and, and, and there, there was a quote that I left out of the book, but I think partly why we feel like we're having problems with the millennials. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, when I was researching the book, I actually found a quote about you and I, Deb, the Gen Xers, mm-hmm. And the oh, quote honey, was, thank you very much. I'm a baby boomer. <laughs> oh, oh, are you? Well, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> you're probably just barely a baby boomer. Actually, I am. I'm just barely a baby boomer, but just barely here. So, uh, but the quote that I had, I had found was about Gen X and it was written in the, the very late eighties or the early nineties about how we don't understand the Gen Xers and we don't understand, you know, how to relate to them and everything else. And I thought, wow, you know, like if I just replace X with millennial, mm-hmm. it's the same darn thing. You know, right. we don't understand, you know, it's because 
millennials are coming into the workplace looking for the ability to participate and contribute, and they don't care for all of the, I guess, the formalities right. of it. The frou-frou. Yeah, the the Mr. Peterson, you know, the uh, you know that sort of thing, and calling people you know, by titles. They get that titles exist, and mm-hmm. and. For me too, I, I get that titles exist and there was a place in time in my career where titles were important. And it was kind of interesting because I remember I, I got courted by a, uh, a plant manager who had left and become the chief operating officer of another company. And he called me a few weeks after he left and invited me out and they courted me. And, and I was sitting uh, in his office during the interview process and he began to lament the org chart. And actually, specifically, he, he said that he hated that people had job titles and he felt that they were an encumbrance. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting. And he said that, and he pointed out, it, it, he finally, as, as a person who had the word chief in his job title, felt that they got in the way. And I didn't really kind of get that because I was still at a place in time in my life where I was like, well, job titles are wonderful. And then when I became... A CEO, I started to really embrace the idea that I didn't look at people as their job title. I looked at them for the qualities and the skills and the abilities and the things that they could get done inside my business. That was how I viewed a person. I, I looked at them and I said, well, Joe knows how to do this. Let's have Joe do it. Right. And it, to some degree, you have to, you do have to respect the org chart a little bit, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know, there, but I, I felt like, you know, well, Joe was like, you know, he wanted to be, you know, uh, engineering specialist one, not an engineering specialist two, you know, and it was like, ah, uh, you know, these, these job titles get in the way. But if you, if you can get down to a place where, you know, people by their name, by their mm-hmm. first name, and you can talk to them and have open, open and honest conversations about what they're experiencing in the business and how they're contributing and the things that they see and the opportunities and the problems and everything else and get past the darn org chart, you will grow your business so much more quickly. It's not even funny. And we as leaders, I think we forget that when the CEO walks into the room, it's almost like he sucks all the air out of the room right. accidentally. No giggling, no la- no fun. <laughs> it's not even that. It's like everybody's waiting for him to say something so that they know what's the right thing to say next. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, well, the right thing to say next is whatever reality is. Mm-hmm. And that's why one of the things in my book is I don't want to be surrounded by yes people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, somebody, somebody needs if, if things aren't going well. They walk in the room and say, "Hey, that really sucks." <laughs> you know? Yeah, and 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 it's okay for the CEO to hear that. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, that's I mean, your job in the C-suite is is two things: one, figure out the strategy for the business, and two, get the roadblocks out of in front of your people. Mm-hmm. You know, CEOs aren't quarterbacks; they're offensive linemen. Right. For lack of a better expression, our job is to knock holes in the defense so that our salespeople can complete the pass to our production team. Mm-hmm. You know, for for you know, to use a sports analogy, we're not the quarterbacks. I, I, you know, yeah, I get it. We're the people who are out in front. We're the people who are kind of getting the notoriety because we're out there doing a lot of the sales and the marketing and the relationship building and the network and all of that. 
But at the end of the day, when it comes down to actually running the business, we're not the quarterbacks. Right. Um, and, and, but it's so easy. You know, when, when I was growing the business, I had to, I had to get the founder to understand that, that, and, and he was a guy that didn't, you know, he didn't care about the org chart in the mm-hmm. sense that it didn't, it wasn't there to create barriers. It was there really only so that at the end of the day, we have a place where we can go when it comes to breaking the tie on an important decision. Mm-hmm. That's why you have an org chart. Right. And of Just course, so that, HR likes org charts because that's how they pay people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you do, you, you do have to, you know, unfortunately, in today's world, um, that can be a bit of a burden. And I say unfortunately because it feels like you, you don't get to compensate people the way you would like to. Right. Um, because but they're it, that level. Right. And so it is, it is valuable in that it sort of keeps you out of the courtroom. And you do have to pay attention to things and, you know, it, it helps you avoid discrimination issues and that sort of thing. But where it works against you is it does tend to build barriers if you allow it. And right. that's why I'm such a big fan of what your CEO did with getting out and talking to the people, because mm-hmm. that's actually how you break through that org chart. It's how you find the people who are actually ready to move to the next space in the right. org chart. And if you have somebody who has truly panicked, then there's a different problem. You know, did they not do the work? Were they late? You know, all these various things. And so that can be addressed. But, you know, it's, it is good just to go meet the troops, so to speak, Um, you know, and, and, and get out there and find out what's going on. You know, and, and I love the fact that, you know, you talk about, you know, the, the, the org charts, because very often, some of the most productive, most knowledgeable, most whatever are the, the people who, according to the org chart, might be the lower levels. You know, you, you go into the meeting and it's, you know, it's, it's somebody who, who doesn't have the fancy title who really is the person who's knowledgeable, um, you know, whether it's about a specific project or the whole, you know, everything. And, and that, and, but if we're tied up in, well, that person can't even speak because he's not department chair, you know, department head, whatever we are, then we're losing out on things. Yeah. And you have to, you have to blow past all of that. Mm -hmm. You have to, you have to blow past all of that. And so it becomes a question of what is, what is the purpose of your leadership team? And uh, it's to lead. It's not to manage. Right. And, you know, cause manage, I I mean, I don't want to be managed. I want to be led. Mm -hmm. uh, Manage to me is, um, I liken it to moving pawns around on a chessboard and that's not really the goal. The goal is to lead. And, um, you know, I talk about this idea. I think it's one of the the foundational uh, principles that I list in the front of the book that everybody's from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so everybody has something important to say and, uh, you know, those frontline people, and like you say, the lower level folks, I like to think of them as the frontline folks because that's where they are. They're on the front lines. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are sharpening your sword every day. Right. Uh, they, they see things. Now, they do see a very small piece of the pie and that's okay, but they see it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
what they see is, is at least real to them and it's a real problem for them. The question is in the grand scheme of things as the chief, whatever you are, where does that fit in all of the problems that you have to solve? Mm -hmm. Um, And then the big thing is when they do express a problem to you, how are you coping with it? Right. Um, It may or may not be something that you need to solve right now. It may be 27th on your list of problems. It may be 113th or God forbid it might be number one. Um, But how you receive that feedback is super important to them. If you're dismissive about it, then don't ever expect them to ever volunteer anything ever again. But if you're appreciative and you circle back to them and you, you know, this may be somebody writes something down and you say, you know what, Joe, I I don't have the answer to that question right now, but I'm glad you asked about it. Mm -hmm. And if you make note of it, and keep kind of a, a, a running tally of these questions, you'll actually start to see similar issues pop up around the business. And then you can really catch things before they happen. Right. Uh, but you have to have that open communication. And, and you can say that it's really, really important to address their concern when they bring it up or very shortly thereafter, or give them permission to follow up with you and hold you accountable. Mm-hmm. Especially you know, if they all get that for you, you know, you'd either better get it to them or they'd better say hello. <laughs> you know? Exactly. But you, you know, we, we lose sight of the idea that we have to give our team permission to hold us accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you do that, then don't be surprised when 10 days later you get an email from frontline employee X saying, Hey, Mike, what happened to, and if you have egg on your face, go ahead and admit it. You right. know, again, part of the deal is showing them that you put your leg, your pants on one leg at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting back to them or, you know, responding, hey, you know what? I've got three or four other people that have brought up something similar. I'm still kind of chasing this down. It's, it, it's, it's in my list of things I'm working on. Then, okay. Then they know you haven't forgotten. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if, if it turns out that it's not that important, It's still important to them. It's still important to them. And the absolute worst way to tell them that it's not that important is through an email. Yes. I, I loathe the email. Well, (laughs) it's so unemotional, you know, and I don't care if you put happy faces or LOL or, you know, hopefully a CEO is not doing that, but you know, because I'm a communications person that would drive me nuts. But yeah, you know, like you said, you know, stop by their office, their cubicle, you know, whatever it is, let them know you thought about it and say, you know, I'm glad you brought it to my attention, but here's what will or will not happen. Right. Or, or ask them, Hey, do you have two or three ideas on how we could solve it? Right. Cause they probably do. They, oh, I bet you they do. I bet you they do. And then there's a few questions you can ask, you know, Hey, like, okay. So if we did it your way, who would benefit? Who wouldn't benefit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, who's going to give up? What does that really work better for the team? And you can actually walk them through the problem solving process to a place where you're doing a few things. Maybe their idea isn't that great, but you can coach them through the series of questions and they actually arrive at a place where they go, you know what, Mike, I've thought about it and I think we ought to just table my idea. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it, it turns out that I, I see that it doesn't work out that well, or they explain to you some things you didn't know about. And all of a sudden, now, you know, you've got something a, you should work on B you can work with, and they've got a solution that to you seems pretty reasonable. The, and then you can go forward with it. Now, as a CEO who's reaching down to the frontline staff, you've got to do some work with communicating with your team in the middle, your leadership team, right? because they need to get real comfortable with the idea that you're down there talking to the frontline team. Yeah, they can't be threatened by it. <clears throat> they can't be threatened by it. And if they do feel threatened by it, then that means there's something wrong with your leadership stuff. Mm-hmm. Because if you have, you know, if retribution is a word that surfaces inside your company, then yeah, everybody is going to be threatened. Mm -hmm. But if everybody feels like, oh, hey, you know, the CEO heard about this idea from a frontline employee and it turns out that there's a few other people experiencing it and boom. And it should never be, how come you guys don't know about this? It's your job to bring it to me. Who knows? I mean, I don't. They're busy people too. Yeah. They're busy people too. And, you know, and that gets us to a, a, a sort of a pet peeve of mine in that the walking around thing is really, really great, but too many companies don't leave their leadership team time to actually walk around. You put so much stuff on their plate that they can't walk around, and then you have the nerve to get frustrated with the idea that they didn't learn something before you learned it. Right. Yeah, that, there's a two-way street there. Mm-hmm. If you want them to learn stuff before you learn it, then you need to give them the time. And that's why one of the things I love, is, you know, in Gazelles, they talk about rocks, you know, your, your leadership team can't handle more than about four or five big rocks a year. Mm-hmm. And if you're giving them, you know, 12 major goals that they have to accomplish, guess what? Get ready to get disappointed about 10 times. Right. You know, and that is one of the premises that you have in the, the book is when we give people too many things, they can't focus on it. You know, they're, they're going to be, they're filtered through it and they're going to go, okay, those three, I just don't even have time to get to. They're probably not important anyway. So eh. they're, and, and they might pick and choose. Ooh, I like this one. So I'm going to mm-hmm. really work hard on this. But you know, if you keep it a manageable number, and this is where it's okay to use the word manage, um, then they can focus on those things. And, and things change. I mean, you know, and, and you talk about that in the book is you have to continually be looking to see what's going on um, outside also. You know, technology changes. Do you have to adapt? You know, what, what new products, what innovations are coming down the pike? Uh, you know, taxi cabs never really thought that somebody was going to be called Uber and would take away all of their business, um, you know, because they just refused to look at that. And, and you do have other examples in your book of companies that were so fixated on this is what we do that they never looked outward. But, you know, it is something where, you know, the, if you have the, the number of goals that are, is doable and attainable, then they'll get done. Otherwise, everything, it, it's kind of like the jack of all trades, master of none. You know, everything's just yep. going to kind of get halfway. Well, and, and, and it's that word attainable. That's the one that, that to me seems to be the Achilles heel when it comes to any and every goal setting process that I've run across so far. In fact, it, it's the headline quote on my LinkedIn banner right now, which is, it's from Harvard Business Review, that the use of stretch goals in, in businesses is quite common. The successful use of stretch goals, however, is not. Right. 
because we struggle with attainable. And I think it was, uh, I saw it come across LinkedIn probably a month ago as I was uh, getting this thing uh, ready to publish. Uh, one of the sharks, and I, I, which is the one that goes by Mr. Wonderful. Uh, oh, gosh, I can't remember. Okay, we'll just call him Mr. Wonderful. Yeah, Mr. Wonderful. He's got this thing where he says hey, that he's noticed that uh, women leaders, women entrepreneurs seem to build uh, better companies in that they grow faster, they grow stronger, and they seem to have happier uh, employee groups because they do a better job of setting goals that are actually attainable. Mm-hmm. And, and part of my process in this book was defining what's attainable. And it's not the thing that your team has only done once. It's actually the thing that they've done just a few times. You know, because when you're trying to shoot for, let's say you're shooting for 20% growth next year, and you tell your team, hey, look, guys, we grew you know, 20% last year. So I think we can grow 20% this year. Well, that's really, it's easy to say that because you've done it. Okay. And you can say, Hey, look, I actually think our real number is like 22% because on our way to growing 20% last year, we actually hit that number, that 22% number three times or four times last year. Right. So I'm going to set our growth goal at 22%. Mm-hmm. which is a little bit of a, a push a little, from little last stretch. year, mm-hmm. but you guys did it. Mm-hmm. What will happen on their way to hitting 22% 12 times next year is that guess what? Three or four times they're going to hit 25. Right. And sometimes they might hit 18. Sometimes they might hit 18, but on average, you're going to get your 22, but they're going to overachieve a few times. Why? Because they believe that they can do the 22 because they did it. Right. They did it several times, in fact. But if you'd said 30, their eyes are going to cross. Their eyes are going to glaze over. Now, they're, they're, you know, you mentioned in the book, there are some that are like, oh, we can do it. We can do it. But most of them are like, holy cow, what are we going to do? Because you're right. They never did that. They didn't have, and, and you know, this is a big subject in the book. They, you know, as, as you said, they don't have that experience to fall back on. And we like that comfort zone, you know, Hey, we've done it before so we can do it again. Yeah. It's, it's personal experience. It's vicarious experience. Mm -hmm. If, if you've never done it, then a lot of times you're going on faith, but it, in our work worlds, and this is where CEOs need to realize that we are weird. You know, when it comes to growing a business and our level of self-belief we're somewhat uh, of an anomaly in the world. A lot of our team doesn't do what we do. They're not built, they're not wired the way we are. And so they're looking for some granite that they can stand on every day. Mm -hmm. And that granite is the knowledge that they've actually done something before. And so when you push them, you want to push them because everybody, no, nobody really, everybody comes to work, they want to be part of something. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're trying, they want to be part of something. They, so they want to know that they're pushing hard, but they also want to stand on granite. And so your, your, your delicate job is to find that place that's at the edge of their best performance, but lets them stand on something they've done before. Right. 
Well, and you also mentioned vicarious experience. And in the book, you, you use NASA as the example. When mm-hmm. President Kennedy said, we're going to go to the moon, and they all went, <laughs> because they hadn't, you know, NASA had not come close, but Russia had already taken several steps. And we, as in, you know, our, our scientists and people here in the United States, knew that we were better than the Russians. So it was like, okay, well, if they've done that, then we had better darn well be able to do that and exceed past it. It's, and I use that example because a lot of people don't know this, but when Kennedy announced that visionary goal of walking on the moon, we were four years behind the Soviets. Right. Four years. They'd done stuff that four years before that we hadn't even done yet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you can draw vicarious experience from a lot of places, you know, inside your company, the people that work for you, they, they look immediately to their peers, have their peers inside the company had, had success, have they had success doing this thing here in this company? And then the other place that they look is, do we have competitors that are having success doing this? Mm -hmm. And you've got to be able to point to some of those things. Now, sometimes you're doing things and in growing your business, you will accomplish things that nobody else has done before. Okay, the first time we connected two spaceships in flight, nobody had ever done that before. Right, there has to be firsts. There has to be firsts, but you're always standing on things that you have done before. Right, and you're st- or you're standing on things that others have done before. And, you know, I use some of those examples about, hey, look, you know, Mike, you can do this. And I know you can do this because you're, you're more talented than, than Joe and Joe got it done, mm-hmm. you know, or you have better tools than Joe had when he did it a year ago. So I know you can do this, you know. And so you, we, we sort of naturally and unknowingly rely on fundamental principles that every human being needs. You know, when you're, when you're training a new employee, part of the reason that you show them how to do it is so that they know that other people have done it that it way. It can be done. Mm-hmm. And it gives them the confidence to do it. But when you're reaching out and trying to do something that nobody has ever done, it's usually a little bit past all of the massive work that you know you can do. Mm-hmm. You know, by the time we connected two spaceships in flight, we gotten very good at launching them. We gotten very good at putting them exactly where we wanted to put them in orbit as a solo machine. And now it was just time to put them exactly where we want them to be, but together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's little steps on top of big, you know, and it's, it's to use the analogy, one small step, you know, one big step, that sort of thing. It's, it's that little push pass. Getting all of the steps in place right. and, and picking something that, allows them to stand on granite, but reach out and grab the thing they've never done. Mm-hmm. And I think too many times we come in and, and, and I fault sort of the, the annual planning process quite a bit. And it's why I call it the anti-corporate thing, because here we are, we're, we're taping the show and it's the early December and, and a lot of companies are getting ready to make the same mistake that they've been making for years. They're going to give everybody their annual goal package right after they come back from the new year. Mm-hmm. And it's going to have some inflated a goal because somebody in the C-suite believes that we can go do this, but they haven't explained to anybody on the front line just exactly how it is we could get there. Right. And unfortunately, your team is about to get a goal package and look at it and go, great, 
I'm two months, I'm three months behind. Why couldn't they have told me this three months ago so I could get a running start? Mm-hmm. You know, and in the NASA analogy, that's exactly what Kennedy did. You know, he, he didn't say we're doing this next year or even five years from now. I believe it, he said within 10 years. And because he knew you had to ramp up to it to make the attainable goals. Yeah, one of the things that we leave out uh, as leaders is we forget about the speed of learning. Every organization, yeah, you may have one expert on your team who just things are intuitively obvious to them, but your team needs to learn. The organization as a living entity needs to learn. They need to learn how to work together. They need to learn their individual roles. We have to give time for everybody on the team to learn. And we forget about those things. You know, it, it, I, I, I always caution companies about importing ideas from other companies straight away. Right. Um, you, yeah, what they do may work for them, but guess what? If you try to drop, you know, plug and play that idea or that process in your, in your company, it's not going to plug and play. Right. It's Everybody pl- has different resources. Right. And so we have to allow for the speed of learning, uh, whether we're talking about creating something new or, or plugging in a process from somewhere else, you have to allow for that. That doesn't mean you can't push it. You know, you need to motivate people to learn, but you have to, you have to allow for it. Right. And the, the interesting thing about learning is as CEOs, we have no control over that. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I, I, I've often found that my teams learn certain things that I didn't know they would learn faster than I thought they could learn it. And other things where I thought they could learn it quickly took more time. Right. Overall on balance, things worked out, but the roadblocks or the speed bumps popped up in places where I couldn't forecast. Mm-hmm. And so it was important to allow for the speed of learning. And that's why this process that, that I used allowed for that. It was simply establishing. And the really cool thing about it was after we'd done it two or three times, it, it became the team's expectation. It was no longer my expectation. Mm -hmm. It was now them assuming control, assuming the expectation and assuming the accountability for delivering the result. Why? Because it, it became who they were, Mm -hmm. you know, and jobs has a great quote that's at the top of one of the chapters that I love. And, and he's, he's under known for it, but I just love it because it really fits everything that I believe about this process. And it goes like this. Once you get a core group of people together who are really passionate about something, then that group becomes self-policing. And that's why I say the book is really more of a culture book than a process book, because I wanted to focus super intently on getting the team to be really passionate about who we were and how we did things mm-hmm. and what their definition and was. And when they looked in the mirror, who did they see? And I wanted them to see a group of people who grew at 50%. Why? Right. Cause that's who we were. That's what right. we did. You know, and, and that's where, you know, I hate to use the term buy-in, but that is where the buy-in comes in. So as opposed to being managed 
to do it, as you were saying before, you know, it, it becomes second nature to them. You know, they, uh, you know, I always hate it when you have, some, you know, you're talking to somebody and they, that's not my job. That's not the way we've always done it. Well, okay. You know, we're doing it a new way. But once that, you know, they've proven that that new way works, then it's their way. And that, that really is where you, you do get the, the people who, you know, whether you call them the champions or just, you know, truly you want everybody to, to be doing it. But you will have several people, you know, depending on how many you've got on your team that really embrace it and really run with it. And they might have been the people that you were least expecting to, to do that. But you're right. When it becomes the corporate culture that it's expected that this is what we do, then that's just what they do. You, you, you were talking about the way we've always done it. Uh, one of, I, I had two, two quotes written on uh, my whiteboard in my office in my, my five years as CEO. The, the top one was, if you're not living on the edge, then you're taking up too much space. And I can't remember who said it, but I think it was maybe originally attributed to a Kennedy. And the second one was, do you know why trains in America are as wide as they are? No. Because that's how wide Roman chariots were. <laughs> now that's amazing. That, that was my little poke in the eye about, my God, if nobody ever stops and questions why we're doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm then what you're going to wind up with is a train 2,000 years later that has the exact same width as a Roman chariot. Now, it, it kind of makes a little bit of sense, but it really was meant to poke at the idea that we shouldn't always be doing things the way we've always done them. Right. And, and, and in truth, you know, Roman, two-horse two uh, you know, a, a two Roman battle chariot uh, had a certain width track. Well, two horses just naturally run together and perform better at a specific width. And that's how we wound up with stagecoach tracks that were the same mm-hmm. width. And, and that became the easy place to put the railroad ties and whatnot. And that's why trains are as wide as they are. But um, if you, nobody ever questions why we do something a certain way, then you'll do it that way for 2000 years. And uh, not everything was meant to be done the same way that long. Right. You know, or maybe the opposite happens. You know, if you're doing it the way you've always done it, you're going to get bypassed, you know, and, and then pretty soon you're not doing anything because your company went under. And that's why I also put, there's a whole chapter in there because it, some companies either get paralysis through analysis or, or they never stop and look at what they're doing. And I, and I, and I have this rule of thumb about anytime your business grows 50%, you should stop and look at it. Look at your job descriptions, look at your processes, and it's carte blanche, wholesale, kind of tear it apart, rebuild it. You know, are your job descriptions right? Um, are, is the right person doing the job? Um, do we have the task in the right place in the organization? All of that stuff. Because businesses don't grow. You know, we have this, I love the book Outliers. And if for no other reason, have you, have you, have you had a chance to read that, Deb? It's been a while. So refresh my memory. So uh, he points out that things get done on artificial timelines. And one of the things that he talks about is, as an example, uh, hockey. And he opens the book up by his wife 
they're at a hockey game and she says, Hey, did you, did you notice anything uh, particular? They're at like the junior national hockey competition. And she says, did you notice anything particular about the hockey players that are on the ice in this championship game right now? And he, he says to her, he says, no, actually I didn't. And she says, look at their birth dates. And so then he goes, he walks through analogy where it, he says, let's go with their names. And their names are, you know, Mike passes off to Joe, who passes back to Mike, who passes off to Fred, who passes back to Mike, who passes off to Joe again, who passes off to, to John, who scores the winning goal. Okay, so that's their names. And then he says, now, let me substitute their birth date in for their names. And he's going through it. And all of the players that were on the ice, of all of them, it was like 80 or 90% of the guys on the team had birth dates that were in the first quarter of the year. Hmm. And only one of the players was born out of the first quarter, and he may have been born in the second or the third quarter of the year. And he says that's because in Canada, the I think if my and I I may get this a little bit wrong, but the gist is basically correct. the The cutoff date for signing up for hockey, your birth date, has to be before December thirty first. Oh, so the kids who are born in January, by the time the cutoff date comes, they are physically more mature. Right. And that means that even though they're playing against a kid who was born on December 20th, they're technically in the same calendar year. The mm -hmm. kid who was born in January is physically more mature. Right. What that leads to is a kid who gets better faster. And because he gets better faster, then he is afforded the extra options to play. He gets to be on the traveling team. And by the time he's 13 or 14, he's getting so many more um, opportunities to play that it actually advances his talent level. And it compounds his experience level and so forth and so on. And he says, what a shame that we accidentally, unintentionally don't let kids who were born in August or September develop in the same way. Mm -hmm. What if in Little League sports you had a cutoff on January 1st, April, and August? You would have three different leagues based on three different birth years. Mm -hmm. Then you could raise up more people. And so we accidentally, through these artificial calendar years, cut things off. And so I developed this rule that says, look, anytime you grow 50%, whether that's revenue, uh, customer count, employee count, pick something. Anytime you grow 50%, reevaluate your business. It doesn't always have to be done on January 1st. Don't fall into that trap because if you're growing at 50% a year, guess what? That's, that's in August. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and, and you need to know why, you know, is it repeatable? You know, all of those various things. And 50% and is a big number. Um, oh, it's massive. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, so it's, it, the nice thing is that means you're not doing this all the time, but you're doing it when you need to be doing it because that's, that's a great place where you maybe are, are on the pinnacle of another big growth period. Um, right. You've, or you you've, can fall backward. You've added enough people to make it worthwhile to look. You've hit a place where there's a certain amount of stress in the business. Mm -hmm. And now you're saying, hey, guys, look, we need to, part of the reason we're going to do this is to sort of drop the stress level. You know, maybe Joe is doing two people's jobs and he ought to be doing one person's job. Um, or this process isn't working well for everybody. So let's stop and take a look, see and what's going on and let's reevaluate. Some of your processes may get redone. Some may not. The cool thing about this is you're going to learn a lot of great information about what's going on in your business. And 
you're going to discover that people are doing things that you didn't know they were doing. Why? Because somebody needed to do it. So somebody just picked up the ball and ran with it. Mm -hmm. You're also going to find out that things aren't being done the way you'd like them to be done. And that's a great thing too. And I, I just encourage people, if you'll do this every time your business grows, you know, if you're growing every time you grow 50%, if you were growing at 25% a year, you would do this process about every 20 months. Mm -hmm. That's not too bad. But it sure as heck beats the heck out of, I worked for a company years ago that we used to redo three procedures a week. That company, guess what? Didn't grow. It right. was languishing because we were spending too much time working on procedures. What we should have been done doing is selling to, to new clients and pulling in new business and then worry about the process. But we were perfecting our processes. Why? I don't know. Nobody was buying them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Well, oh my gosh, Philip, we are almost done, or I shouldn't say done, because we're not done. I, I didn't even get through half of the stuff I wanted to talk about. And you have another book called Walk the Talk. I discovered that today when I was researching you. So we definitely have to have you on again. But most importantly, tell us a little bit about you know, what you do and how people can, can contact you. Uh, I... My, my tagline is I'll, I help business owners solve the right problems because, um, and the right problems vary from business to business and situation to situation. So, uh, I often find the same problem in different businesses, but for different reasons and how you got where you got is, uh, very important. So that's what I do today. I help business owners solve the right problems inside their companies. Um, obviously, uh, you know, I've written a couple of books. So I've got a little bit of authorship going on and uh, I do some speaking. Matter of fact, I'm flying out next week to do a, to finish up my last keynote of the year. Um, the easiest way to find me is at my website, askphilipwilliams.com and I'm Philip with one L. Uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn too. I'm, I'm open to uh, accepting connection requests all the time. Philip hyphen Williams or dash, depending on how you think about it. And again, that's Philip with one L. Perfect. Well, do you have any final thoughts to leave our listeners with today? Uh, read my book. <laughs> and you know what? It, it is a great book. And, you know, and, and like I said, I mean, we didn't even get through half of what I wanted to, to talk about because there were so many things. We didn't talk about BHAGs. I have to have you on again simply so we can talk about BHAGs and why they are... Ugh. Um, yeah. It almost sounds like you have a hairball when you say oh, it, right? I know. I just, I don't like BHAGs, but I've done BHAGs because, you know, there were times where people said, you have to have BHAGs. And for people who don't know what we're talking about, that just means that you, you have, have to, to listen, listen again to the next time. So All right. I love it. Well, I am Deb Creer. I've been having a fabulous time talking with Philip Williams. And until next time, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. You've been listening to C-Suite Radio. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.